I, I hope that today it's not, it's not rainy, but it is the spirit at work in us. And I do think that God is at work in our midst and not something more special today than any other day. But I do hope he opens our eyes to that. And I do, um, it's crazy. I mean, I've sung Hosanna, I don't know, a lot of times, a lot of times. And uh, there's this phrase that I think God wants to keep reminding us of, is that he loves us. Sh- show me how to love like you have loved me. What our world needs right now is not a bunch of me doing a bunch of me things or you doing a bunch of you things. But they need the world to see the love of God shown through people who've experienced that love. Have you experienced the love of God? Do we remind ourselves? It's still on my page right here. God loves you. What your neighbors need to hear, what you need to know, what your family needs, what your coworkers need is to know that God loves them and to experience that love that you have experienced. And if you're not experiencing it, then saying, God, I want to experience your love again. I want to know what it's like to be loved by you as I am right now in my mess. Not some future beautiful version of me that gets everything all right, right? That's the thing I always think. Like God, God's ready for this Randy that's the perfected Randy. That doesn't lose his temper. That's always kind and always gentle and just like Jesus all the time. That, that Randy won't be here until Jesus comes again. And he loves me right now, despite, even in the midst of that. He loves us in our brokenness. He loves us and he wants us to see and experience him. Again, that, the, the Hosanna reminds me of Jesus coming into Jerusalem and they're laying down their cloaks and they're putting down the palm branches and they're saying, Hosanna, it's our savior. That's what they're saying. You've saved us. They both saw him and they didn't see him at the same time. There he was fulfilling prophecy, riding in on a colt, just as it had been prophesied hundreds of years before. And here he was, and they're going, this is it, this is it. They saw him as their savior, but what they thought he was coming to save them from was from Rome or from all their enemies and not to save them from the sin that lived inside of them, their worst enemy. They saw him, but they didn't see him. Isn't that us? We see Jesus, we, we know and experience him, yet, yet we're not fully seeing him. And that's why we're in this series of seeing Jesus, that I hope it would enliven in us. There's more, that unseen realm that we're not even tapping into, that we don't even recognize, that he, see, he, he sees us and that we want to see him. Do we have a broken or hazy or misshapen image of him? Is it because of hurt? Even legitimate trauma, right? Brokenness that has actually been, I mean, so there's sometimes we don't see him because something has happened to us that keeps us from doing that, that we have to work through to get to, right? I think the problem is we think, oh, I don't see him. There's something wrong with me. And that that could be the case. It could be that you've got other things in, in the way of the view. It could be that there's hurt and stuff that he needs to come and you need to give to him. 
It could be family dynamics. Maybe we've even decided that we already know all we need to know. That we've already achieved, we've we've got all the information we need to know, and this is what we've seen about Jesus, rather than realizing we're in a constant journey of learning more about who he is and what he's done. He's revealing more of himself to us. And that's why we come today to see Jesus as the teacher. That he's not done teaching us. Because you've read through the Bible, because you've read all the Gospels, because you've been in church your entire life, doesn't mean you've seen all there is to see about Jesus or you know all you need to know. We need more of him. And so I want to pray for us this morning. I'm going to pray, Father, help us to know. I'm just going to pray it. I'll pray it because I wrote it here and I feel like it's simple prayer. And then I'm going to step into this. Join me as we pray. Father, help us to know you and to see you better as we look at your son, the image of the invisible God. Jesus, show yourself to us. Clear our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see you more clearly. Holy Spirit, illuminate Jesus for us this morning. Show his radiance and glory. Make us in awe of him. Make us in awe of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask and pray. Amen. We've seen Jesus so far as God, Jesus as the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, separate yet one. We've talked about Jesus as the Son, the sent one from the Father, sent to show us the love of the Father. And now we look at him as the teacher. You can turn to Mark uh, chapter 1, 14 through 15, where we'll start, we read it this week. Uh, I, I, hope, I hope you're following along and reading in the Gospels, not because, again, it just is a helpful guide. It's amazing. I, I've read through the Gospels over and over and over again. Um, every time I read them, every, all these different things stand out. It's crazy what shows up. It's more and more images, things that are just show, me, show differences. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 We read this earlier this week. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came as a teacher to say, listen, let me show you what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is here. In this verse, Mark is helping to see, listen, the time has come. This is Jesus' words. The time has come. It is fulfilled. It is ready. What you've been waiting for, right? What they're looking for when Jesus is coming is the Messiah. Every Jewish person that Mark is writing to has been waiting for this Messiah. And he's saying, listen, the time has come. He's here. It's now. The kingdom of God is here. The person of Jesus, the picture of the kingdom of God. And then he says these two words, repent and believe. Now, if you grew up in church, especially the church that I grew up in, when you hear the word repent, there's a whole lot of things that start funneling through your brain, right? 
I don't have a good wooden pulpit up here to beat on, but there'd be a lot of that. And, and this idea of repent was because you're messed up and you're broken. Repent, repent, repent. And so I don't know how you're hearing Jesus saying, repent and believe, but that's, that's kind of an underlying like, way that that's heard in my heart. And I have to look at that again, difference, because I'm also looking at through the lens that God is love. And so when I'm hearing repent, what I'm hearing is, hey, there's another way. The way you're going, that's not the way that leads to me. Repent means to turn around. It's a 180. It's a go the opposite direction. It's to change your belief. So when he's coming to say repent, is it from sin? Yes, that is part of it. And it's a big part of it. I don't want to bemoan that or say, oh, that's not a big deal. Sin is not an issue in there. No, we don't need to repent of our sin. Yes, you do. We just talked about that in confession. That's why we did that today. But there's a bigger picture of that, that the repenting is a turning from going your way to go and follow after his way. So there's a changing of how I'm going, the direction, how I'm viewing and seeing the world. Jesus is starting off here saying, listen, I'm going to teach you a different way, a different way to do it. If you know how to do something and someone else comes and says like, well, there's this other way to do it. Any parent try to teach new math, right? I'm like, what? A new math? The old one was doing great. I loved it. I can work with that one. I don't understand this one. So I have to change. It's like, I got to go and figure this out now. It's, it's moving me away from the way that I'm comfortable with and I'm having to understand and learn things. Is it bad? Is it wrong? No. Is it hard? Yeah. When you don't know it the other way, we have to change it. So for a lot of us, when we're looking at this idea of repenting means maybe the way that you've decided isn't the way. And there's another way, and it's Jesus's. And he's saying, listen, follow me. Why? Because I'm pointing you back to the Heavenly Father. I'm pointing you back to the way that there is to go. Change where you are going. Change what you're looking at. Jesus is saying, hey, look at me. I'll show you. I'll teach you what the kingdom of God is like and will look like. The question is, are we willing to admit that to go apart from that is to go the wrong way? And that what I've been seeing about God might not be fully right. We need to get a new picture. And that's helping us today by seeing Jesus as a teacher. At least 31 times in the Gospels, Jesus is referred to or calling himself as teacher. It would be a sign of huge respect to call somebody rabbi or rabboni or teacher. You're saying, I'm submit, I, I recognize your authority over me. His title, uh, rabbi or teacher, is significant. Because if you were a rabbi, you would also need pupils to pass on the information with which you had to go on. So you could say, hey, I'm a teacher, but if no one's there teaching, you're not teaching anyone, you're by yourself, you're not really a rabbi. You're not really a teacher. And here's an interesting thing that, and looking at this, that, I was made about Jesus, Jesus stands out as a rabbi. Why he stands out as a teacher is that most teachers, most rabbis in, in the Jewish days, in these days right here, were charged with passing on the oral traditions. They memorized the Torah. They had a rabbi that passed on those traditions to them, and they passed those traditions on one from another to another. It was all saying the same thing from somebody else. 
It was all passing on. It was hugely important. That's how we have the scriptures, right? Because these, these people pass it on from one to the other. It was not common practice for rabbis to have new teaching. They were teaching what someone else had told them. Jesus came saying, I have a new way. Jesus was talking that, uh, take, taking that same teaching and bring it to life in a way that no one else could. Catherine read Mark 6, 1 through 6. I'll read it again. He went away from there and into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard were astonished. They heard his teaching. All of a sudden, they've heard teaching every Sabbath for their whole lives, every one of them. They had heard teaching and learned it and heard it over and over again. As young children, they had to memorize the Torah. Like this was not new to them. So to go to the synagogue was again another day. I go to the temple, I, meet, I read there, I'll hear the same thing over again and I walk out of there. They, many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is this wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hand? Is this not the son of the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James? And Judas and Simon are not those his, uh, his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could not do mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief and he went about among the villages teaching. Look at the scene right there. Jesus is showing them a different way, right? Here's a picture. He's coming to them saying, here's this different way. We don't know the specific message there. He goes to his synagogue and says, there's a way. And they hear it. They're astonished by it. They're amazed by it. They're overwhelmed by the teaching. They see the powerful works. And yet they choose to say, I, I, I'm not believing. And he, what does Jesus do? He marvels at their unbelief. Here you're seeing, but not hearing. And he goes about the villages continuing to teach. Jesus, one of the core pictures of him throughout the Gospels is that of a teacher. And, and when, I, when you think of a teacher today, think of that best teacher you've ever had. The teacher that just worked and helped you understand and illuminate things the way you never understood it before. That took a subject and made it feel, you know, oh wow, I can actually do this. Do you have a teacher like that? Do you have a Mr. Adams? That was my uh, high school ag teacher who also taught my dad. That's crazy. He taught my dad in his second year. It was, a, it was a second year of teaching. He came to my dad's school, and I was there for his last year of teaching. That's a pretty crazy deal. It's pretty awesome. The, the first day in class, I remember sitting there, and he was like, Mr. Adams, like, uh, learning is more than what you're going to find between the four walls of this building and between the two covers of a book. And I was just like, who is this guy? This is like, this is not any other school teacher. They're like, no, you got to listen to me and figure it out. He's like, no, there's more to this than that. Miss Iliadis, my senior uh, AP English teacher, <laughs> taking that AP credit, my, or my honors credit, to kind of graduate with honors. Wrong deal to try to move to that your senior year. That's not when you're, I was not, I was not already, I was not good at English to begin with, much less to take honors, AP. You're like, no, this is, this is ridiculous. But I sat in her class and she said, hey, we're going to figure this out. We're going to work in this together. She changed, she changed my life, I would say, in that. Because she took the time 
to, to, to work with me to understand. That's the teacher talking. Don't think about the bad teachers out there. I know that's the easy thing to start getting built up in, like, oh, oh that's, that's what you know. Jesus is the best teacher you could ever imagine, wanting you to understand and convey those truths to you. So let's look at this importance of Jesus as a teacher. Jesus came, his sole purpose, right? He's saying that in the opening lines of Mark, is to say, hey, listen, the time has come. The kingdom of God is here. Repent, change your view, and believe. He's saying he's come to show the kingdom and show God to to the world around him. We've talked about this before. People ultimately want the kingdom of God. They want what the kingdom of God has to offer, right? When Jesus is going around healing, we want to see healing. We want to see sickness and death gone. That's what Jesus is doing. Healing the blind, healing the leper, healing the deaf, uh, bringing dead back to life. That is the kingdom of God. The, The broken and disenfranchised loved and cared for. But the problem is, Mark Sayers, an author, says that people want the kingdom though, but they don't want the king. They want the benefit and the beauty of the kingdom, but we don't want to submit. And Jesus is saying, the teachings, here's what I have for you. This is, this, is what, this is how you get the kingdom. It's through him only. And so there's three ways that we see Jesus kind of being that teacher. And the first is through his kind of big sermons or teaching, right? We see that most visibly shown in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. Chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. It's one beautifully written, like orated time. Just imagining Jesus getting up and sharing that uh, up there. And this goes along with the picture that we talked about earlier. That rabbis or teachers didn't have new teaching to say. Jesus was coming and saying, listen, let me illuminate this for you. Right? He starts off with the Beatitudes, right? Saying, listen, let me show you this upside down kingdom the way Jesus has it set up. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the caring. Like, you know, we see this over and over and over again, this, this imagery, very different from what the idea of the kingdom of God was going to be. Not a bunch of warriors ready to take over, but servants loving and caring. And then he goes on throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said X, Y, and Z, right? You've heard it said uh, you should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You like going over all the commandments over and over and over again. But what does he say? But I say, and he gives a different picture of it. He gives a more detailed picture of it. He goes into the heart of the matter of why those are there. The Sermon on the Mount is a beautiful picture of what Jesus came to teach us. A new way to see God and experience the kingdom. And that it was not just for the Jews. This is a message that was going beyond the Jews. That was going to all people. We see him over and over and over again encountering new places, going out of the typical Jewish cities. In fact, he spends most of his time in places that Jews aren't, but they keep coming and finding him to bring the good news. The second way you see him teaching is by his life, by the life that he lives. John 13, 12 through 16 says it this way. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm come as your example. He's teaching us by how he's living, by what he is doing, by the people he talks to, the people he eats with, the places he goes, the way he says things, how he says things. He was teaching them how to, how to live, how, by how he lived, by what he did. He brought the kingdom with him. It wasn't some message out there, again, for the lofty and the, and, and the elite. It was a message that he lived out in his everyday life. What an example that is for us, right? That as he went out, he continued living out the example of the kingdom. Do as I have done to you. A servant isn't greater than the master. A messenger not greater than the one who sent him. How often is it that when we learn something, we kind of think like we pass on and we teach somebody else that we don't have to do that anymore. I can move on from that, right? I've taught someone else that. So they can do that. No, I can do something else. And we're kind of always on this ladder of moving where Jesus is saying, listen, you're never above the master. You're never one above the one that's taught you. And what have I done? I've bent the knee. I've served, I served all of you. It's a servant's heart. It's a definitely different picture. Not lording over this, this, this knowledge and information that I have, but yet using it to serve people, to love people. Think of all the ways that Jesus is showing them how to live life. He's not in a rush. Often they have to come find Jesus. I love, I was reading that this week. They have to come find Jesus. Hey, Jesus, where are you at? Hey, 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 hey. We need you. There's a bunch of people over here. He's gone away by himself. He's, that's okay. A bunch of people didn't mean he needed to change his routine for the day. No, because there's a bunch of people today, I need to go spend time alone with my father. What a reminder was that for the disciples as they lived their life without Jesus with them. I need to go spend time and be alone. It's not just about the crowds. What was it like for someone who was drawing people over and over again, but he kept sending them away and kept hiding, right? What does that look like? Does that look like our modern day? Like if you've got a message and a lot of people show up, you don't hide that, right? Like that, hey, we, we, need to, we need to market this, right? We need to get this out to the masses. We need, no, Jesus is saying, no, listen, I've got this message and they're gonna keep being drawn by it, but we're gonna, we're gonna kind of go over here. We're going we're gonna to head over here. We're going we're to follow and be obedient to the Spirit. Jesus is never in a hurry. I love that, that picture of that. Again, if you haven't watched the, the Chosen, I would encourage you to go back and watch it just to see the difference of a different pace. Again, because the teachers we have, right, feel this obligation. I've got to get out more people, more people, more people. Jesus is saying, like, I'm just going to focus on the message here. And another way Jesus teaches is through parables. So imagine today, you might like this, this might be real exciting, if this is all that I preach today. And they say Jesus, uh, that same day Jesus went out from the house, he sat beside the sea, and the great crowds gathered around him. So he got in a boat and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Everybody's going around, just imagine sitting on the beach, whole crowd gathered around. And this is what he said. A sower sent out, went out to sow, and he sowed some weeds fell along the path, some seed fell along the path, some birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, and since there was no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since that, they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them off. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, and some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. 
He who has ears, let him hear. Like, that's it. Like, crowd gathered around. He's out in the boat. Like, oh, we're ready for this, right? This is the Sermon on the Mount number two. Let's go. He who has ears, let him hear. And he walks away. So, like good disciples, right? What is he doing there? He's leaving him with tension. They're wrestling with it. What does this mean? What's going on here? Most teachers, what do they want to do? They want to make it as easy as possible. They want to put it on the bottom shelf. How do we make it easy for you to get to? The parables most often have a literal and a figurative meaning. So you're trying to figure out, what is he meaning here? And then all of a sudden, then he puts you in the story, right? Wait, which one am I? Am I one of those seed? Where did I land in this? Have you heard any of the parables we've gone through, Matthew? We're almost halfway through Mark. Have you heard a parable that stood out to you and you're like, oh, what was that? A few weeks ago, Matthew 26, the parable of the 10, uh, 10 virgins. I was like listening to that one. I was like, I got to repeat that again. I don't think I've ever even heard that parable before. Like, I get, let me do that one more time. I think I listened to it five times in a row going like, I, okay, I don't even understand this. Like, where is this coming from? What are you trying to do there? Imagine this is what Jesus is trying to do. They're trying to, he's trying to get us into understanding, like thinking about dwelling on it. They're meant to cause you to look more, to dive into it. Some hear them and they walk away. Others press in to get the meaning. Jesus wants us to press in. The disciples then ask, and, and later, right after this, and the disciples come to him in verse 10. Like, Why do you speak in the parables? Right? Because they're trying to figure out, if we're trying to do this, like how do we do the same thing? Where, where do, why do you speak in the parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has more, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he is, uh, has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in peril, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. I'm going to be like, Jesus, that doesn't really help me. That actually hurts a little bit because now I'm uh, like, I'm trying to deal with this now. I'm like, wait, you don't want them to know? I, this is really unclear for me. Because as a teacher, this, this, it would be like, oh, because I've just got a deeper meaning for it. He goes on to explain this parable to them. He does that many times throughout. He'll, he'll say a parable. Most of them, I think he's there. They are more, more culturally relevant to them than we probably realize. And so we have to take a little more time to dig into them. Uh, we're not an agrarian society, most of us. So a seed parable might not latch into where we're at. But he's certainly ad- addressing their issues right there. And he's coming right to where they're at. He's trying to bring the message of the kingdom of God. All the parables are describing the kingdom. They're trying to give picture into the kingdom of God. That's what he's using these pictures of the parables for. And so when he's using them, teaching his life, these parables, they're all sent to put us back to the kingdom of God, to point us back to what he's bringing into, bringing us into. And what you would be known for as a teacher is about how do people respond, right? What does it look like afterwards? We see the, the responses are varied all throughout the gospels. Matthew 22, uh, verses 23 and verses 33. Sorry, yeah, I think that's right. It says, when he had heard it, they had marveled and they left him and went away. They heard his teaching and they marveled. Like, something amazing about that. Verse 33, it says, when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. But some... They hear it differently. We read this week, Matthew, uh, Mark 3, 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him and how to destroy him. 
They hear his teaching and they're going, we can't have this. Why? Because they have a view that his kingdom is trying to destroy. That his kingdom is trying to overthrow. So what do they want to do? We've got to destroy it. Others are perplexed and question, right? They wonder, who is this guy, right? We just read earlier. This is this, the guy that grew up over here. It's Mary's son, the carpenter from Nazareth, that guy. This, he's doing this. How is this happening? And some wanted to kill him. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the, pre the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the highest priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. He's, this teaching, both amazing and, and he's got a death warrant out for him. You ever feel that way? Right? So imagine, if we're, we're not above the master, so if the teacher is calling us to teach, there's going to be some people who hear the message, who hear the good news, the, the message to repent, and they're going to see it, and they're going to go, that's amazing, I need that. And there's going to be others who go, I don't want anything to do with that. In fact, I want to get rid of that message. That is offensive to me, and I cannot be around it. I mean, that's exactly what's happening with the chief priests, the, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. They cannot be around it. Closing us and pointing us, if Jesus is our teacher, then what does that make us? His disciples, his students. As disciples, we're learners. Can I give you a hint today? You don't know everything. I don't know everything. And there's some freedom in that, that I'm still learning. We're still learning. I think sometimes we beat ourselves up because we should know it all right now. I should have all the answers. I should have it all figured out. And what if it was okay for us to go, I, I don't get it. And the disciples came to Jesus. I don't understand the parables. Help us out. Come on. What, give, us a, give us a bone here. I, don't, I can't figure out what you're saying. Why are you doing this? The disciples that walk with Jesus for over three years, they're confused about what's going on. They don't even fully see Jesus. We have stuff to learn. We have things we need to unlearn. And we have areas that we already know that we need to grow in. It's a never-ending part of our life. We never move on from this. We don't get to a spot where we no longer need to grow, where we no longer need to be taught. We all need to continue to be taught and be be to learn. Remember this, we talked about this earlier in the year when we got into the uh, Lord's Prayer. The life of a disciple, a disciple is someone who is increasingly submitting all of life to the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus. Think of that as him as our teacher. We're continuing bringing everything to him and viewing it through the lens that he is giving us. That, that's, a, that's difficult. If we're to simplify it even more, we're, right, we talked about it, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and then ultimately to live like Jesus. That's what being a disciple means. It's choosing to live the most full and abundant life possible. Remember coming across that phrase, and that sounds great, right? I want to live the most full and abundant life possible, and yet following Jesus, following him in the way, 
though turning from our own desires, is the most full and abundant life that we have for us. There's not a better life for any of us as a disciple of Jesus. If, if we were to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus, we spend time with Jesus, we get in, we understand and try to see what it means to follow after him. I want you to think about these disciples we read about in the Gospels. Most of these disciples, we see them come to start following Jesus, right? They leave everything that they have to come follow him. Marriages, family, walking along. How do we figure this out? We're going to follow after you. What does this mean? I'm going to leave my nets on the side. I'm not going to be a tax collector anymore. I'm going to come follow after you. They don't fully get everything. They may have only heard him or seen him do something amazing. And he says, hey, come follow me. And they come follow. They might have heard of the, the, the stories that were following the lore of him, but they didn't fully get everything. And then at some point they think they've got everything, right? They move from like, I don't understand this at all to all of a sudden like, hey, we've got this figured out. In fact, I'm gonna be at his right hand. You can be at his left hand. Well, we've got this all figured out. We know where this is going, right? We're going back to Jerusalem because we're about to win this battle. We're about to overthrow the government. Not the case, right? They don't realize what they don't know. They come into Jerusalem. They, they despair as Jesus dies. They all run and scatter, right? They, they're in fear after his death. They're huddled up in a room. What's gonna happen, even though he just told them, literally, hey, three days from now, I'm gonna rise from the dead. I'm gonna come back out of this. But he spends 40 days with them and then he sends them to wait on the Holy Spirit. And the book of Acts gives us that picture, right? Of these men and women living transformed lives in the community around them. They live for the gospel and making disciples. What do their lives all end up like? They all end up dying for the gospel, except for John, who ends up on the island by himself. And I don't know which is better, island alone, or martyr's death. None of it that any of you would ask for. And what, I'm, what I want you to do today is not that you've got to go die physically for the gospel, but the picture is the same. We've got to die to ourselves to follow after the, 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 the teachings of Jesus. It will not be easy. All of us will be called to things in our life that we will have to give up things that we don't want to deal with? What will we hold on to? Right, those disciples over and over and over again are like that the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, I've done everything you asked, that's great. Sell everything and come follow after me. Can't do that, sorry. The call is to repent, to follow after him, to believe in the good news of God's kingdom to come to earth. That it's already come in Jesus and it's coming again. So what does this mean for us? It means that it changes the lens with which we view the world around us. It changes the decisions we make, how we live our life, how we spend our money, the job we work at, what we do when we're at our work, how we work, right? Because what does Paul tell us later? We work not for, not for the employer, but, but to, for Jesus. He's our employer. 
Somebody might be giving us a paycheck, but he's the one that I'm working for. I'm doing all my work as if I'm doing it for him. It changes how we parent. It changes how we are married. It changes how we love our neighbors. So it means that becomes the forefront view. When I repent, it means I'm turning from the way I see things to say I'm going to turn on and I'm going to put Jesus' lens on and I want to follow after him. And I'm going to look back at some of that stuff and go, that's going to be hard to leave. Because it's all I've ever known and it's all I've ever wanted and it feels wrong and I don't like it. So Jesus, I'm going to press into this and keep walking towards you because I want to believe that you're the teacher. You're the one who's been called, who's, put, who's come into my life to change me, to follow after you, to bring the kingdom of God to the world around me. Jesus wants to be our teacher and our rabbi. He wants us to be his disciples and to show that love of God to make disciples, to become fishers of men. So today for us, as we leave and go out, maybe a test for us to ask ourselves is how much do our daily responses of life circumstances look like how Jesus would respond? If he's our teacher, right? Then we should respond in the way that Jesus would respond. I mean, sometimes we're going to be silent on those Facebook arguments or... Maybe, maybe that's not the space to do that. Maybe it means I'm going to be, show kindness where I've been hurt. Right? As, you, as we read through the Gospels, you see Jesus over and over again responding in ways that it doesn't make sense. I don't know how he does it, but it's because he is God. He's bringing the kingdom. He's called us, who he's empowered us by his Holy Spirit to live that same type of life. How are you responding to others in your circumstances? Are you doing it in a way that Jesus would respond? Three questions I want us or, uh, to reflect on, three areas I want us to reflect on. You can put those on there. Where or how do you struggle to see Jesus as the teacher? Maybe even to submit to Jesus as your teacher. Do you need to repent and believe that Jesus is the Son of God, come to bring the kingdom of God and make us right with God? Maybe I should have put that one first because if you don't get that one, then the next ones, the, the other ones won't matter. Have you decided that the view that you see the world isn't the right way, that Jesus' way is the only way? So by calling yourself to repent or calling others to repent, it's not saying, hey, you're messed up. It's like, hey, no, I'm messed up. And I have to turn from my own way to follow after him. We all have to do that. And then last, what would it look like for you to commit to being a disciple of Jesus, to reorder your life around him and his purposes for you? What would that look like? Is there anything you need to change for you to, to reorder your life around him and his purposes? What decisions would you need to re rethink about? What, what ways that you respond to other people would need to be changed? So this morning, I want us to just take some moments to reflect and pause and think about that. 
Um, Hans Ol's going to come up here in a second, and we're going to sing a great song to end. I love how God works. I was going to text Hans Ol earlier this week. I was like, can we sing um, His Name is Jesus, and then can we sing Jesus Be the Center? And here they are. He was already, he was already thinking of that. And um, I think this is a perfect song for us to even reflect on as we come through this. Would Jesus be the center of our lives? That he would be the thing that draws us to himself. That we would go out and live a life following after his example as he is our teacher, we are his disciples. Let me pray for us and take a moment to reflect on these things. Father, this morning through your Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to reorder our lives around Jesus and his purpose for us. God, I pray for anyone in this room or hearing this message that has not repented to believe in you, that has not turned from their own way, but is following after Jesus and, and believing in him, God, that they would be able to do that this morning, recognizing their need for the one and only Savior, that they can't save themselves. We can't save ourselves. We need someone to save us and then become our teacher. And help us to be disciples that follow after you with all that we have. Take a few moments and just reflect on those this morning, asking the Holy Spirit to speak to you in whatever way you need to hear this morning.